0: With the many rapid changes that have come to so many businesses and individuals in the last few years, it can be harder than ever to know how to integrate faith and business. In light of the contention, stress, and change we see all around us, many Christian leaders feel isolated and overwhelmed. That's why the Truth at Work conference is dedicated to equipping, educating, and inspiring a generation of Christian business leaders. Come together to network with hundreds of like-minded believers and business owners. Be equipped by keynote speakers Tim Tebow, Jessica Nam Kim, John Heizen, Crawford Luritz, and more. Come prepared to be refreshed, inspired, and motivated to live out your faith at work and to pursue eternal significance. Join us on November 12th for the Truth at Work Conference. Eternal business. Real life.
1: Hey everyone, this is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith. We hope that during this time of the global pandemic that you and yours are safe and sound. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be presenting to you some of the best of episodes that we have recorded over the last few years here at Bottom Line Faith. We're doing this in order to bring you some of the best high-profile and specialized speakers to help you navigate this crisis in your leadership in the marketplace. We'll be back with you soon with some new episodes of Bottom Line Faith, but for now, we hope and pray that this episode will be of tremendous value to help you live out your faith in the marketplace.
2: And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith.
1: On today's show... Dan Miller, New York Times bestselling author and president of 48 Days, LLC.
3: I can't be one person on Sunday morning and be authentic and be somebody else on Thursday morning. I think that what we're doing on Friday morning ought to be a better expression of our faith than what we do for 58 minutes on Sunday morning.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith. This is the program where we bridge the gap between faith and business and leadership in the marketplace. I am really excited about our guest for today. Our guest today is Dan Miller. He's calling in from Franklin, Tennessee. Dan is the president of 48 Days LLC. Dan is a three-time New York Times best-selling author. His three books, 48 Days to the Work You Love, No More Dreaded Mondays, and Wisdom Meets Passion have been on the New York Times best-selling list. We are so honored today to have Dan calling in. Dan, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Uh, Thank you so much,
3: Ray. I'm delighted to be your guest today.
1: Well, I have been looking forward to this, and I know that God has uniquely and wonderfully gifted you and positioned you to influence leaders globally. And so would you take just a couple of moments, give us a little bit of your background? I want to get to know you a little bit of your family life, early days, that sort of thing. What what can we know about you?
3: Well, we can do a a real brief overview, because uh, I love my family story. I was raised the son of a farmer. Now, my dad was also pastor of a little tiny church in our town, for which he received no pay. So farming was the means by which he was responsible to provide for our family. Now, interestingly, neither of those roles were really clearly his purpose and passion. Both were superimposed on him by others' expectations, thus explaining some of the frustration I saw in him. And it prompted in me, at an early age, Ray, the desire to figure this out, to see life here on earth, not just as something we get through, and then we go to heaven and things are wonderful there, but rather as something to be enjoyed right now. As I read scripture growing up as a young guy myself, I kept seeing these challenges to enjoy our work here. The work here had some meaning and purpose And so I became attracted to that very early on. I was destined to be a farmer with my dad. That was the expectation to go to school as long as the state required me to go to school and then quit and help my dad. I wanted to keep going to school, finish high school and go to college so that it would increase my opportunities because I was really convinced there were things out there where I could do more, be more, see more, have more than just by being a farmer. So I was very inquisitive, went on to school, much to my parents' dismay, but that indeed did open some doors for me. So I left my dad's farm and went on to other kind of things. And in light of the work that I've done, I'm one of these oddities. I've never had a job for which I received a paycheck. I've never had a real job. I've always just seen opportunities and just put legs on those things, and I continue today just to see opportunities around every bush and just find fun ways to put some kind of an economic model together to make that work. So I'm an entrepreneur from the top of my head to the tip of my toe, and in the last you know, 25 years, I've had the privilege of working with people to help them figure out, you know, how has God gifted you, and what would this look like on Monday morning to integrate God's best, most precious gifts to you, but integrate those into work that you do. So you blend your talents, your passions, and have an economic model to create income from that. And I can't imagine a sweeter spot to have those converge together. And that really happened kind of uh, by accident. Of course, nothing is an accident, but it was not an intention of mine to take something that I saw as a ministry gift and turn it into the means of providing financial for my family. My wife and I were teaching a Sunday school class, and it just grew exponentially. And I was spending a significant amount of time, 20, 30 hours a week, just meeting with people in the class who were begging me to meet to ask questions about their personal situation. And then seeing the volume of need there, and with my wife's encouragement, I finally turned that into the focal point for what I was doing. Eliminated the other things I was doing in business, generating income, moved into this, challenging theologically to move into that and have this be my means of support. But when I did, it was like a damn burst in terms of response from the marketplace and wanting to see me and get my coaching, now not as just a nice guy at church, but rather as a professional who can help them find that sweet spot that I described.
1: That is amazing, and and I, I want to go back, if you don't mind. What were some of the early indications or some of the early experiences that you had Uh, Dan, that began to speak to you to say, hey, you're going to have a unique and different path. You're not only not going to follow your father's footsteps and be a farmer, but you're also not going to have like a traditional career, go get a job in a company and advance and so forth. What were some of those early indications and things that told you your pathway was going to look a little different?
3: I think I ruined myself for any kind of traditional employment just as a little kid because I had no opportunity to create my own income in being part of the farming operations. That was just expected. That was an obligation because I had a place to live and food to eat. So it was part of being the family. But I would look at these magazines and see money-making opportunities. When I was six years old, I ordered a little kit and went door-to-door, and door-to-door in our community was like a mile apart between houses. (laughs) We're not talking about the suburbs. And I would knock on doors and sell Christmas cards, and I took orders for Christmas cards. And then we lived on a dirt road, which a couple times a year they would coat with oil just to keep some of the dust down. Well, then immediately the cars were tacky with oil and dust mixture. I would clean our neighbor's cars, clean all that off, and wax them. That was, And I just saw an opportunity to do that. Then I would see the sweet corn in our family garden when my mom had canned and frozen all that we could possibly use as a family, and there's still sweet corn there. Wow, I'd get up at 5.30 in the morning as like a 10-year-old, and I'd pick that sweet corn, put it in a little wagon behind our one family Ford tractor, drive the two miles up to where there was a paved road, and I'd put up my little sign, sweet corn, 30 cents a dozen. So I was doing things like that from the, as early as I can remember. So as I got older, there was never an appeal to me to, well, I need to go find, find some place that's going to give me a paycheck. It's just, no, what's the next idea that I'm going to pursue? And that's just never stopped. So I just kept pursuing ideas, and the ideas have always been in abundance.
1: So to me, as I'm listening to that, Dan, though, it it begs this question around an entrepreneur, an being an entrepreneur. Is being an entrepreneur something that someone is naturally wired to pursue and be, or is it acquired over time? Or from your perspective, how does all that look?
3: Yeah, I love that question. I've asked myself that a thousand times because my siblings, there were five of us children. None of them took anything remotely close to the path that I did. All of them went in very traditional paths their entire working history. I have to believe that there's something about the DNA that God put in me that gave me that perspective. But I do think it's something that can be developed. Um, I love helping people see the broad spectrum of work opportunities. You can have a traditional job where you work 40 hours a week, get two weeks off, you know, have four week, 1K contributions and so on. And you can be, you know, some kid who works in his t-shirt and shorts, you know, updating sports information on the internet. Where he works two hours a day and makes hundred thousand dollars doing that. That's very tra- non-traditional, very unstructured. Huh. Well, we've got a broad continuum. There's all kinds of things in between there. Somebody with an illustrious corporate career can become a consultant where they position themselves to do just the one or two things that they do really, really well. We have somebody who says, yeah, I want to do something on my own, but I don't want to really be on my own. Well, I just kind of defined a franchise. So you can get a franchise where you are in business for yourself, but not by yourself. So, there's all kinds of models. There's no wrong, right. But I want people, even if they're going through an unexpected transition or between opportunities, as we call it around here, I want them just to realize the broad spectrum of opportunities today. If, in fact, they discover they really do have the wiring to do something on their own, most people, when they do that, they wish they had done it sooner. Mm. But it's not a matter of, see as you get more mature and, you know, healthier and more confident that you ultimately end up as an entrepreneur. No, not at all. There are people who are meant to be team players and need to do so with excellence.
1: So as I'm listening here, my brain is just racing because I think about like over the last 20, 25 years in the, I don't think I'd be exaggerating to say a few hundred conversations where I've sat across the table from individuals, sometimes, Dan, with tears coming down their face because they had a dream, they had an idea, they had something that they felt they wanted to pursue um, or launch or try, but maybe their current lifestyle prohibited them from doing that. Maybe their current financial obligations prohibited them from doing that. And you could just see like the dream was dying right there in their heart. What thoughts would you have to offer to someone who's listening to the program right now who maybe they think they've got this entrepreneur edge about them or they want to try something or launch something or they see a problem worth trying to solve, but they, something's holding them back? Would you speak to that? What, what would you say to them?
3: I see a lot of people who, by virtue of their academic background and work experience, feel trapped. As an example, physicians, attorneys, dentists, engineers, accountants, pastors, a lot of them at 45 wake up and think, I'm living somebody else's dream, but I don't know how to get out of this cage that I've created for myself. But I would encourage anybody to realize you're not trapped. You really aren't. There are so many opportunities today but it's not a matter of throw the baby out with the bath. When I help somebody make a transition who may have been a dentist, as an example, it's not likely that we just throw that out totally. We probably validate that in some way, but just approach it in a creative way where they may never again have to have their hands inside somebody's mouth, but can still create income. Now, here's the other thing, as as you lay it out here. People anticipate that if they're making you know $300,000 a year now, surely anything else is going to cause a reduction in that. That's a fallacy. That's not true at all. The idea of change, I mean, we have to realize change is going to require, you know, something is different, true. But change, when, when I hear from somebody who just lost their job, I just got an email just a few minutes ago from a guy who said, See, they didn't give me any warning, no severance, they gave me a box, told me to clean up my drawer, I'm gone. You know, this is ridiculous. Well, anyway, when that happens to somebody in a way that's unexpected and unwelcome, the immediate thought is, wow, no vacation for the family this year. Gee, we're gonna lose the car that we just bought, we're gonna have to take the kids out of private school, you know, everything's gonna be they they assume less because of change. But in reality, a lot of people who go through change, even if it's unexpected like that, 18 months later, Say wow! That's the best thing that ever happened to me because it forced me to look at my options in a way that I would have never done if the status quo continued. So sometimes those those things that seem like a crisis is a wonderful window of opportunity to take a fresh look. Now, also, somebody may have a dream. Let, let's say that somebody wants to write a book as an example. You mentioned my writing mm-hmm. as we started here. Well, that's not something for which you would quit your job and just go to a cabin in the woods and write a book. No, devote 15 hours a week to that. It's amazing what you can accomplish in 90 days if you devote 15 hours a week to it. Get it out there, leverage it, do whatever. See if you can get to where you are generating 50% of your current income with what you're doing on the side, your dream with legs on it. If you can get to that point, and I recommend that people expect to get there within 90 to 100 days. 50% Fifty percent of their current income. If they can do that, wow, we've got a trajectory that can give you a lot of confidence. Where you can say, if I devoted the rest of my time to this, surely I can make up the other fifty percent. And they're often running, so we create a runway rather than just a total abandonment of everything and feel the feeling like we're starting over.
1: Well, I love that because it really is "quote unquote" the best of both worlds, right? Because they can develop and pursue this dream, this idea, this concept, this product, this company, or what have you, and also not put their family at great risk and lose it all, if you will. That's what I'm hearing here. That's, that's really excellent. So um, so you you mentioned, Dan, if someone, is, as they're listening to our conversation and they want to learn more, about you and what you do and what, um, what you have to share with folks, what's the best way for people to uh, find you or contact you?
3: Well, sure. 48 Days to the Work You Love is the title of really my core book, the one I wrote when I was teaching a Sunday school class and pretty much launched everything I'm doing today. So 48 Days is our brand, and if you simply go to 48days.com, it'll lead you right to all the other resources we're talking about.
1: And in addition, uh, you also host a uh, podcast, is that right? What would be the best way for them to uh, find and listen to your podcast?
3: Just put in the search 48 days, and it'll come up. You know, I'm, one of, I'm one of the old timers in this arena, in the podcasting arena. I love the opportunity we have to speak hope and encouragement to people who are hungry for that. So I've been in the podcast world
1: quite a while. Oh that's fantastic. So Dan, I'm really curious about uh, kind of the, this next part of what I want to talk about and that is and I touched on it in my earlier question about someone feeling trapped mm-hmm. someone feeling trapped by by their lifestyle, by obligations or what have you. Help us understand w- what are some of the most important steps? questions, things that someone needs to do to begin to explore about how to become untrapped and become... I know your passion is helping people become who and what God's called them to be as it relates to their work. Walk us through some of that. What would be some early steps or first things that I, that we should do if, for someone who's feeling trapped?
3: Oh, no, absolutely. This may seem counterintuitive, but the first thing is to take a deep breath and look inward. of the process of having the confidence, a proper direction in our career comes from looking inward. And often people sidestep that. that They they simply go to the want ads or see what the business opportunities are or what franchises are hot right now. And they get a Band-Aid solution, not realize it may be great for somebody down the street, but it may not be right for you. So take a deep breath. Take a fresh look at three areas. What are your skills and abilities? Not just the things you know you can do, but the things where you feel energized that you would like to continue doing. Be very, very clear on those. Number two is your personality tendencies. How do you relate to other people? What kind of environments are you most comfortable in? How do you manage, persuade, sell? Those are things you need to know about yourself. The third area is what I call values, dreams, and passions. What are those recurring things that just seem to keep coming up where, oh, my goodness, it's when I'm doing this that I really feel like I'm in that zone of genius. It's when I'm working with the elderly. It's when I'm outside. When I'm working with ideas rather than people. All those things are just segments of what make us unique individuals. And the more we know about ourselves, the more confidence we can have about knowing what can be next. So if somebody's feeling trapped or is in that period of transition, that's the first thing to do. Once you do that, then you can create a clear focus for what would fit, what kind of work, what kind of career, what kind of business would, in fact, blend those things I just described, bring those together, give me an opportunity to do that. And it may be something that nobody else is doing. It may may confirm what you have been doing, that it really is a good fit. All those things are possibilities, but it's doing that first, that 85% of the process. 15% then is the application, and frankly, that's the easy part. Mm. Once you really have a clear focus, then you can walk out with your head held high, confident, boldness, enthusiasm, and people will see you as a great candidate because you're so clear about what you do that brings value. But a lot of people go through those transitions, and they go out and just kind of, you know, knock on doors, and stick their toe in the water, and she'll do whatever you want me to do. That's a really weak positioning. That is not how you move ahead.
1: Okay, so we've got to really have a good understanding of our skills, our skill sets, Mm -hmm. our personality, how we're wired, how we interact with people, environments, those sorts of things. But then to really be intentional about evaluating our values, our dreams, and our passions, and really what's going to drive us over a long period of time.
3: Absolutely. So, right on.
1: So in this process, Dan, where where's the role of our faith in all of this that we're talking about today?
3: You know, I, I just don't understand a division between those two. I can't be one person on Sunday morning and be authentic and be somebody else on Thursday morning. Now, there's an old Hebrew word, avodah, from which we get both the words, work and worship, I think that what we're doing on Friday morning ought to be a better expression of our faith than what we do for 58 minutes on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. You know, you can sit sit in the pew and have somebody look at the back of your head, and they don't know much about you. But if they interact with you in the marketplace, they're going to know your value, your beliefs, what your faith is really all about in action. I had just this week, I had one of our 48 Days coaches was rear-ended. She was sitting at a stoplight, and an SUV slammed into the back of her, did massive damage to her car. Gentleman got out. He was mortified. He immediately accepted responsibility. He was mortified. His hands were shaking. He was trembling. And they got over to the side of the road, and this lady, who is our coach, she said, let's just take a deep breath. She said, would you mind if I just took your hands and we prayed for, mm. uh, we prayed for the situation? She did. Before the police got there, he's like, what do you do? What what kind of woman do you slam in the back of her car and she wants to pray for you to calm you down? She explained what she does. It turns out he is the owner of the biggest construction company in her city. He said, will you come in and do a workshop for my 500 employees on teaching them grace under pressure? He said it can transform our culture. That's faith in the marketplace. Where in a situation like that, it could have been very adversarial, you know, very tough. But no, her faith was evident because it's a integral part of who she is, not just who she is on Sunday, but an integral part of who she is every day, and that immediately transformed into a marketplace intersection.
1: Thank you for sharing that story. I mean, as I'm listening to that, that is a gripping, gripping story of really living out faith in the marketplace. And it's amazing. So I'm just curious, uh, Dan, as you, um, and, you know, in addition to writing three amazing books, you know, Dan, you've you've had the incredible blessing and platform. You've been on CBS on The Early Show. You've been on Hardball with Chris Matthews on NMSNBC. You've been on the Dave Ramsey Show, Success Magazine, Washington Post, on and on and on. God has really given you an amazing platform. Would you share with us that as God has expanded your platform and your your entrepreneurialism, if you will, how how have you seek to leverage that as a, as a platform for you to share ministry in the marketplace?
3: Yes. Now, I have a business where I write books, I coach, I speak— However, I don't have the kind of business you drive up to, and there's a big sign-out front, and there's 300 employees there. I work out of a converted barn on our property here in Franklin, Tennessee. I have no employees. Now, I need to be quick to add. That doesn't mean I do everything myself. I have a wonderful team, but they're all independent contractors. This is a question that I've struggled with. Do I have the obligation to grow bigger and bigger and bigger? bigger buildings, more employees, because I have the opportunity to do that. Is that a stewardship responsibility on my part? I take that very seriously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I've decided for me, the answer is no. I have a very streamlined life that I live. I do spend, I'm energized by solitude. I have a lot of time that I spend in writing, thinking. But then I have platforms in which I can interact with people. I have a large podcast audience. I have an even larger newsletter audience. We have an online community called 48 Days Eagles. So there are ways that I have groups that I connect with, mm-hmm. but usually those are leaders. I'm not looking for ways that I can reach millions and in the process deplete myself personally. I believe in the concept of serving best from a full cup. A lot of Christians think they're serving well when they're so depleted emotionally, physically, relationally, financially, they have nothing to give. Mm. I want to make sure that I steward my temple, my resources, my relationships, my time. And in some ways it could look like I'm being selfish in that because I have plenty of opportunities to speak more, to coach more, to write more, to do, you know, to go to other countries. Lots of opportunities. But that's a delicate balance for me. And for me, I'm very intentional about how I structure my time. But I'm not looking to grow in the way that most people would expect a successful business to grow.
1: And so how did you get to this point to where you knew this about yourself, that the best way you could serve— is to have your cup full. Because to your point, some might say, well, that is selfish. You know, you're going to take care of you first. Mm Kind (laughs) of, how'd you get to that point?
3: It came from that 85% that I mentioned a minute ago Mm. of looking inward first. It came from understanding Dan Miller so well that I knew what made sense. Knowing my personality Knowing how I function best, knowing what drains me emotionally, what energizes, what gives me creativity to bring new hope and inspiration to people. I mean, all those things. So it's really a process of knowing myself so well that I figured out how I can serve in the most effective way. It's an ongoing process,
2: yeah, yeah. And, it's,
3: and it's not one that had easy answers for me. Here's an example, Ray. I've been friends with Dave Ramsey for 30 years. We've been best friends since the time when we both just crashed and burned and cried together, tried to figure out what we were going to do. Today, I already described my life. I work out of a converted barn on the back of our property in Franklin, Tennessee. I have no employees. Dave is building a new campus as we speak. Part of the commitment to the city of Franklin is that he will have 1,000 employees. That, to me, would keep me awake at night and make me throw up in the morning. Yeah, But that's me. I mean, I love what he's done. He loves what I've done. We're both in that sweet spot. But it looks very, very different. This is not a cookie-cutter process. It's a matter of understanding how has God uniquely gifted you and then being true to that. In the way that you live it out.
1: That's a perfect example. So, there's probably someone listening right now, Dan, who has been frustrated because they've been faithful in leadership. You know, maybe they've started a business, they're leading an organization, whatever the case may be, and they're comparing their journey or their results with someone else's. And would you just take a moment on this note and just give them a word of encouragement? What would you say to that person who's like, Lord, I've been working so hard at this, and I I thought it would look like what Joe's done over here or what Sue's done over there. (laughs) What would you say to them?
3: It's so easy to get caught up in comparison and thinking, wow, I wish I could drive that kind of car or go to that place on vacation or have that kind of lake house. That's a dangerous path to go down. Because this is not a mathematical issue at all. You may choose to live a life of authenticity and integrity and character where you don't end up a multimillionaire. But if that's true to who you are and you are faithful in that role, my goodness, fantastic. So it's not a matter of just looking at everybody around you. Don't try to be an imposter. I I had a pastor recently that I worked with who was very frustrated and he came in to see me and we were working on through just his angst about Mm -hmm. what he was doing. Mm -hmm. But he knew that he had been called and went to seminary and was pastor of a church. I mean, how are you gonna walk with me? And I said, I said, Man, who sold you this bill of goods? Mm. And he was really taken back. He's like, What do you mean? Isn't this the most godly thing I could possibly do? I said, No, not at all. I said, You're an imposter. You're trying to be something you're not. This is not what God gifted you to do. So even in that situation where we think we're doing something godly, if it's not a fit, I mean, how many people have we seen who decided after 14 months of not being able to secure employment, decided God called them to be full-time missionaries, and now they're asking their friends for support? Oh, I cringe when I see that. That's a default position. Following God's will should not be a default position. It should be the first thing on the horizon. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And we ought to recognize that as such. But it's a matter of finding your authenticity. So personal understanding. Of course, the scripture is rich with provision for us as well about understanding ourselves. And as we understand ourselves, then we recognize the gifts that God has given us. We so often look mm-hmm. externally and just say, here's an opportunity, well, I'll do that. No, look inward first.
1: I love that. Well, we see that reflected in First Corinthians 12, Romans 12, you know, the gifts and service to the body. But isn't that just how the devil loves to work? He loves to put the seed of comparison in our hearts and jealousy and all those things. And so you've really given us some great... Great insights on it. Thank you for that. That's good stuff. Real good stuff.
3: Absolutely.
1: Well, Dan, as we kind of transition, I'd love to just talk a little bit about advice and kind of insights. And so I'd love for you to share that over the course of of your career, um, what is the best advice that you were ever given um, that that you could recall? And who who gave it to you, and and how does it continue to impact you today?
3: I have been impacted dramatically by... A lot of what I call the Masters of Achievement, I was really pulled into that whole space. I mean, I'm talking Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, Brian Tracy, all those old Masters of Achievement. There are so many things that I've learned from them about running this race with excellence but one of the things it's never too late to have a new beginning mm. i encounter so many people who i mean I, I ran into people who are 27 years old and say oh man i majored in the wrong thing in college and the implication is now i've just got to kind of drift into the grave and i think you gotta be kidding me you're not old <laughs> enough to ask good questions yet so it's never too late to have a new beginning and i i, I talk to 65 year olds who are coming out of a an illustrious career and they're looking for what's next boy, let's figure that out. That can be an exciting two decades of your life, mm-hmm. to figure it out at that point.
1: Well, that I've wrote that down, you know, never too late to have a new beginning, and uh, one of the first persons that come to mind is, you know, my my co-founder at, at our ministry at Truth That Work. His name is Matt Palin, and Matt's 84 years old, and we, oh. s- we started in ministry together uh, 20 years ago. So... He was exactly 65 when he and I began, and he's 84. Aww. And I was just talking with him this morning, and he says, "Retirement is nowhere on my radar screen." And he said, "As long as the Lord's given me health, I'm out here going to be serving him faithfully in the marketplace." So I love that, right? It's, it isn't ever too late.
3: Yep, and it's, it's exciting to, to encounter people like that who have figured out, but it's a matter of continuing to walk this out in faith and serve, serve well that we take our last breath.
1: That's right. Dan, one more time, best website for folks to check out to learn more?
3: 48days.com is the connection to lots of resources, but also 48dayseagles.com is an exciting new community that we have of people who just don't want to settle for mediocrity, The people who are willing to share ideas and resources freely, and so that's a real exciting community that we started just recently, 48dayseagles.com.
1: So, Dan, as as you look back now, uh, if you could go back and sit down across the table from the 20-year-old Dan Miller, you're sitting across the table from the 20-year-old version of you, what advice would you give yourself? Or in other words, what do you wish someone might have said to you when you were 20? What would you say to that? Well,
3: the implication from your question is that I wish somebody would have told me how to avoid some of the things along the way. And to be honest, I don't really wish for that. Great. Those bumps were also the things that prepared me to do what I do today. I don't think I could have gotten here without that.
1: Okay, I'm going to stop you then. Tell me one of the big bumps. I can't let you just. (laughs) I'd be a bad host if I didn't like, I didn't mean to be rude there, but tell us about one of those bumps and then we can come back to the advice. But give give us one of the big ones.
3: Well, I indicated that Dave Ramsey and I went through a major catastrophe the same month, same year. We didn't know each other then. We met about a year and a half later. But I had built one business on top of another, Uh, being an entrepreneur and things had, had gone pretty well in a lot of different ways. And then I had a business where banking relationships changed. The bank that I had a relationship with changed ownership three times in two years. And the people with whom I had those handshake relationships were long gone. Mm -hmm. They put the pressure on me. I ended up selling a business at public auction, thinking I'd at least walk away with a shirt on my back. But instead, I woke up the next morning realizing I owed about $430,000 to the IRS and Mm -hmm. vendors. Wow! So that was a big... Bump in the road, but at that period of time, I mean, the thing that serves me well as an entrepreneur is I didn't point fingers, I didn't blame. I got up the next morning, and looked at that dude in the mirror, and said, "Okay, you got us into this. How are you going to get us out?" And began a process of walking that out. That was a major obstacle, mm. and there were a lot of things that happened in that instance that really were expressions of my faith as well. As an example, immediately it was recommended that I file bankruptcy and could have done that. I said, nah, that's not the way I was raised. Hmm. My grandparents were Amish. My dad pastored a little tiny Mennonite church. If there's one thing that's true of my heritage in the Amish Mennonite community, is that your word is something that can be counted on. Mm -hmm. You don't look for a loophole legally to walk away from it. And I thought man, I gave my word to these people. I don't care if there's a legal mechanism by which I can just walk away. That's not how I'm wired. Hmm. If I, my word's no good, dig a hole and push me in. I'm finished. So I walked out of that challenging time. Took me longer than I anticipated, but I walked out of that you know, with the integrity that I hope I was known for then and am still today.
1: Thank you for sharing that. I'm sure many of our listeners can relate to it. I know that uh, listeners that know my story, I can relate to that, having been through a very difficult season in business, just as you've described, creditors calling every night and so forth. It's totally it's oh, yeah. difficult and lonely. <laughs> and so looking back then, uh, what advice would you give yourself, now that you are on the backside of that and seeing how God has used that, but in the middle of that storm, what advice might you have given yourself?
3: One of the things that I gave myself as advice, I know our minds are like gardens. They're pretty blank by themselves. If a weed starts to grow, it's going to multiply. It takes effort to plant a kernel of corn, but if you do, you're going to get back not a kernel, but a whole ear. So I force fed my mind during that period of time, pure, positive, clean, inspirational kind of content every minute that I was alone so that I would not allow those negative, self-defeating thoughts to take root and grow. That was a really important principle. I dedicated at least two hours a day to simply listening or reading positive material. The effect is so profound, I never quit. That was years ago, but that's a practice I continue today because of the effect that I continue to experience from that.
1: Well, I love that I'm reminded from Philippians, right? Chapter 4, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, fix your thoughts that's right. on these things... Well, Dan, <laughs> we're down at the end here, and I can't thank you enough for being on the program today. I, As i said, I've taken notes, I've been inspired, I've been encouraged. But our last question that we get to in every conversation here at Bottom Line Faith is based out of Proverbs 4.23, where Solomon writes, Above all else, guard your heart, for it determines the course of all of life. So, Dan, I'd love for you to kind of fill in the blank for me. Let's pretend for a moment that you're at the tail end of of uh, your time this side of eternity, and you have a chance to pass along that one piece of advice or encouragement to your family, to your friends, to your loved ones, and in this case, to our audience here at Bottom Line Faith. Would you fill in the blank for us on that one piece of advice above all else?
3: When I was a 13-year-old farm kid, I came across an audio recording called The Strangest Secret. I got that and started listening to it again and again and again. And the principle is we become what we think about. Now, that's not a new principle. Certainly, Proverbs tells us that. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. But somehow, it really impacted me and became a foundational principle for my life. So guard your thoughts. Guard your heart. Absolutely. We become what we think about. So what I allow into my mind in terms of what I listen to, watch, the kind of people I'm around— Those things are part of guarding or not guarding my heart, so I'm very careful about what I listen to, what I read, the kind of people that I spend a lot of time with. Well, certainly Mm -hmm. we encounter people from all walks of life, but I'm not going to go on a three-day vacation with somebody who is exhibiting things in their life that I don't want to be part of mine.
1: That's incredible. I had a friend once tell me that you will become in life the product of the books you read and the people you associate with. And I was told that when I was was 20 years old. And uh, you've just reinforced that. Dan, thank you so much for being on our program today. You have just been a blessing and an encouragement, and I just can't thank you enough. So thank you so much.
3: Well, it's been my pleasure, Ray. Thank you for asking me.
1: So folks, we have been learning from Dan Miller, Check out his website, please, at 48days.com. Also, his new online community, 48dayseagles.com. We'd really encourage you to check out his podcast, 48 Days Podcast with Dan Miller. If you are a Christ follower and you're in business and you want to learn about what it might look like to be in a community of your fellow Christian peers in business and in a roundtable group with Truth at Work, go to our website at truthatwork.org, click on the link there that says roundtables, leave us a message, we'll follow up with you and see how we might work together. Again, I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith, Ray Hilbert, encouraging you to live out your faith each day in the marketplace. Thanks for joining us. God bless, and we'll see you next time here at Bottom Line Faith.
0: Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past
1: episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes.